Once a parent, ever a parent. Even after a parent loses hands-on oversight and care of their children as they get older, they never stop thinking about them, always wondering, always praying for their, for their well-being. Before the sad day of their departure comes when those children walk out of that home for the last time, as men and women submitted to God under His authority, I want to provide you with what I call three powerful parenting strategies that will help you as your children become adults. We love our children, and we want them to do well, and we we hope that we are doing well, and sometimes we are not sure. Well, I want to give you some some sure ideas rooted in Scripture that will help you, and if you capture these ideas and implement them in your home, well, we know that change is a gift that God offers. We can't change our children, but this will help you as you cooperate with the Lord in the parenting of your children. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas, and you are listening to, well, a, a podcast that helps people to live effective lives, and that is our tagline. If you want to read this podcast, you can read all of our Your Daily Drive podcast, and you're more than welcome to do that. The title of this podcast and this article is right around 2,400 words, and you can read every one of them. And I have a lot of embedded links here, plus a video that will help you along in your parenting. The title is, Here are three powerful and practical parenting strategies. I'm not sure anything brings more fear into an adult's life like their children, and I can explain what I just said. You have to have children to truly understand this. When, as each one of our children were born, I, I cried. Something dynamically happens. I've talked to several men who have, had, who have said similarly, not necessarily that they've cried at the birth of their children, but something happens at that transition point. I mean, even when the child is in the womb, you can think about it, and it, it brings a different thoughts and a newfound giddiness to the new parent. But when, when you see the child, hold the child, hear that child cry, those first five minutes of a, a child's entry into the world from the womb, it does something to you. It reminds me of when the Lord said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You have to taste to know that the Lord is good. You can talk about it. And it's good to talk about it, but it's only when you take the plunge with the Lord that you know you have tasted and you know that he is good. It's kind of like that. You have to experience children to understand what happens inside the hearts of parents after they have them. I don't proudly mean these thoughts as all, at all, as though I'm dividing the haves from the have-nots. I know that there are many wannabe parents, uh, people who want to be parents, who are listening to this podcast, and I, I'm not trying to create that kind of anxiety in you. I just, I'm not bragging about having kids. I don't mean that at all. I'm not suggesting any sort of incompleteness if you don't have any. Please don't go there. That's not where I, I'm, I'm going. 
It's more about my inability to explain what it's like to have kids and the accompanying anxiety, the worry, the fear that a parent can have regarding their children. And while having kids, it changes your life in an inestimable, inestimable, positive way. Children can also confront you with some of your deepest insecurities, fears, and frustrations. Loving and concerned parents tend to worry about their children. In fact, I would say that we worry more about our children than we do our own marriages. Probably, we probably shouldn't do that. We, well, we shouldn't worry at all, and we probably should have a different priority. But that's just the way it is because there's something crazy dynamic about children. We want them to turn out okay. And even after they leave the nest, that desire does not change. I've talked to these parents too. Some of them will tell you that. It even heightens after they leave the nest, after they're out from under you. And so this is a ongoing struggle in our lives. Therefore, it's important that we understand parenting principles well and that we're implementing them in our lives. And so I want to just give you three powerful and practical parenting strategies. And here's the best one of all. Having a parenting strategy is critical. And there is no place to begin than right here, prayer. Before you jump into parental responsibilities, methodologies, goals for children, how about if we start with the best parenting advice that you will ever, ever, ever receive? It's not original with me. This is not my idea, though I concur wholeheartedly. The best parenting strategy that you will ever employ is to pray for your children. For you doers out there, for you hands-on orchestrators, micromanagers, over-parenters, you might not like this one. And even for some of you who expect me to say prayer, we can almost just throw it in because we're supposed to. But no, we really need to think profoundly and deeply about this parenting strategy. Nothing will top this parent parental nugget. Now, I first heard this from Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life. I'm not sure if he originated it. Probably not. But that's where I first heard this. Your best parenting advice is prayer. And he's right. The ultimate goal for a child Think about it this way, is to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is no higher goal, which is the first and greatest commandment, as we read in Matthew 22. If your kid enters God's world as an adult, submitted to his authority while loving him and others more than anything else, it will be parenting success. But then the question comes, how does a child get to that wonderful sweet spot with God? You can't parent that kind of worldview and outcome into your child. That goal of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, loving others more than yourself, submitted to his authority, that overarching goal is a gift from God. Holy obedience and righteous living come from 
the Lord. Our benevolent Lord gives these great grace gifts to humble children, whether they are our children or whether we are the child. A parent can beg, plead, conjole, curse, foist, manipulate, argue, appeal, yell, and even cram God or try to cram God down the child's throat. Guess what? None of that will work. And I'm not making a case for that, for you doing that. You should do none of those things. But if you're tempted to do any of those things, those tactics have never worked. Righteousness comes from heaven by the generous hand of the Lord. After God opens the eyes of the blind and the Spirit of God illuminates the darkness with the truths of His Word, transformation happens. At that moment, God grants repentance and the righteousness of Christ becomes the penitent's gift. Paul said it this way, and you already know this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace. You have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's not your own doing. Not your own doing, you penitent person, and it's not your doing, you parent, me, It is the gift of God, not a result of works. It behooves every parent to understand that they will will do their best parenting from a heart of prayer that appeals to God on behalf of their child. Parents plead with God to do in their child's heart what parenting can never accomplish. I call this satellite praying. You get on your knees, though being on your knees is not necessary. It's really the position of your heart. But you get on your knees and you beam your prayers to God, to the satellite, metaphorically speaking. You ask him to do righteous work in your child's heart. So God beams it back down to the child's heart. You see what's happening here? You beam up your prayers to God and God works down on your child. You see this idea in Proverbs 21.1. Here's what it says. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He, the Lord, turns it wherever he will. Now, when you understand that, God is the one that turns the heart of the king. God turns the heart of the child. And so you beam it up, and God turns the heart, praying Now, I'm not speaking merely of the child's salvation, which is a gift from the Lord, but also his ongoing repentance. Perhaps you have heard the saying that the Christian life is repentance and ongoing repenting. It's true. We repent and receive Christ as our regenerating Savior, and we repent daily, moment by moment, throughout our lives. God's gift to your child is repentance, and your contribution to your child is your prayers. Now, I'm going to speak more about additional responsibilities in a moment, but you never want to fall into into the trap of thinking that something is more valuable to your child's soul than your prayers. You want to partner with God as He is doing His thing in the heart of your child. You have to know that you cannot make your child righteous no matter how hard you try. The Father wants to release you from that futile work. There is a Savior, and He's not you. His name is Jesus. Your job is to cooperate with Him, which you began doing by praying.
God wants you to be careful about how you think about helping your child change because there's a fine line that you can cross without realizing it. Do you know where that fine line is? Well, I have I know where that fine line is because I've, I've crossed it so many times. Let me share with you a few practical indicators that remind me when I'm I call it overparenting, you overparenters. Perhaps you have similar temptations. You will recognize a few of these things that I'm going to share with you. And if any of these things have ever happened to you as you're parenting one of your children, then you've crossed the line and you're not cooperating with the Lord, but you're getting in the way. Here's just a short list. It's not exhaustive, perhaps. There won't be something on this list that you might think of, but... If you ever become any of these things, you're overparenting as it pertains to your children. One, impatience. Two, frustrated. Three, worry. Anxiety. Anger. Complaining. Criticalness. Grumbling. Pettiness. Judging. There's ten. Eleven, manipulation. Self-righteousness. Fussing. Stubbornness. Dogmatism. Harshness. Fear. Self-reliance. Comparing and meddling, and there's 10 more. There's 20 things there, and if you have done any of these things as it pertains to your parenting, you have crossed the line and you've overparented. Impatience, frustration, worry, anxiety, anger, complaining, criticalness, grumbling, pettiness, judging, manipulation, self-righteousness, fussing, stubbornness, dogmatism, harshness, fear, self-reliance, comparing, and meddling. The title of this podcast is, Here are Three Powerful and Practical Parenting Strategies. The first one, the best advice you'll ever receive, pray where you're trusting God to do the change. And you'll know that prayer is not number one if you're doing any of these things on this list. Now, perhaps it would serve you. It would serve you well to think through each one of these 20 things that I've listed. And maybe you do want to add a few that came to mind. That's not on my list. This is my list, not not yours. If any of these things belong to you, you are over-parenting and you have to stop it. You're not trusting the Lord. Every one of these reactions to your child is sinful. If you persist... You'll not be cooperating with the Lord in the salvation or ongoing sanctification of your child, but you're in the way. In counseling, we call that a complicating problem. Your child is not maturing in Christ as he should. That's the original problem. And you're compounding the issue by modeling one or more of the characteristics in the 20-point list that I just gave you. Don't make things worse than what they are already by demonstrating a different version of immaturity as your child. You, You hear that? Your child's being immature, and then you do something on this list here, and then you're being immature. It's a different version of immaturity than your child. You become a stumbling block. He needs to see and experience your faith in Christ, not your fears or your frustration. Parenting strategy Number one is prayer. Parenting strategy number two, you are a a signpost. 
One of the cool things about John the Baptist was that he did not want to get in the way of the Savior's work. He knew what his job was. It was to point to the one who was mightier than him. You could say that John was a signpost in the desert. Listen to how he talked about being a directional sign for others to observe in John 3, 28 and following. He said this, You yourselves bear me witness that I said... I am not the Christ, but that but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. You bear me witness, I am not the Christ. I'm the one sent before him who stands and hears him. Unlike the overparenting parent, John wanted it clear that he was not the Christ. He was not the bridegroom. His job was to point to the only one who could save. His strategy was straightforward. I must make myself small while making sure that Christ is prominent and easily identifiable. John's strategy begs the question for all of us parents. Are you decreasing as a parent in proportion to Christ increasing in your life? Let, let's get practical. If any of the sin patterns of those 20 that I, I listed earlier, if any of those are part of your ongoing parenting strategy, the Savior is not increasing in your home. The over-parenter would say it like this, which is really different from how John said it. The over-parenter will say, I must increase and the Savior must decrease. The increasing parent and the decreasing Savior do not propagate the righteousness of God. Whenever our strategies become the main thing. It points to the employment of, of fear or frustration, or both, from a self-reliant parent who is attempting to manipulate the child in, into living according to the parent's expectations. This approach to parenting kids will blow up in your face. Your child will not see the Savior but observe you, and in time, your child will resent you. Jesus must increase and you must decrease. Or to say it another way, your child must see Christ in you. The parent is the primary representative of the Savior in the home. You are a signpost that points to the Savior like a mirror. They see you. They see Christ. Now, I'm assuming the parent is a Christian. And if so, that makes the parent exhibit A of what the Savior is like to the child. Now, this approach is how you increase the Savior to the child. Too many parents usher their kids off to a Christian school, a church, or other social environment, hoping that these contexts will be the means of grace to change them. Now, these venues, they can supplement there's no question about it. But nothing replaces practical Christian parenting. 
God did not give your kids local churches and Christian schools as the primary means to teach them about Jesus. He gave your child you as the primary means of grace to teach your child. And your example is your most profound teaching tool. This second strategy that I'm talking about here, I just titled it very simply as you're a signpost. I'm taking John's language from John chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. You are a picture. When I do consultancy work for local churches, one of the first questions that I ask a pastor or other Christian leader is, what do you want your congregation to be? What do you want your congregation to become? I'm asking the pastor what he would like to see his congregation become at some point in the future. Now, I've heard many answers to this question, but all the answers, honestly, they they carry the same idea. Every time a pastor answers this question, they say some version of the same idea. They want their congregation to be like Jesus. Now, you can say that many ways, but that's the best summary, that that a local church leader, they want their people to act like Christ. And then I follow up with this. If you want them to act like Christ, then you, you have to become what you want them to be. If you don't become an example of what you want them to be, don't expect them to become it. The congregation as a whole will not rise above its leadership. If the leadership is not living out a humble, transparent, honest, vibrant, and authentic relationship with Christ personally and in their marriages— Don't expect the congregation to be any better. And this same analysis applies to parents. What do you want your child to be? Then you must become that. Now, when when I say that they must have an honest, vibrant, authentic relationship with Christ personally, the leader within the local church, they do. But also, I added, in their marriages, if a pastor and his wife, if, if they are not modeling a picture of Christ in the church well, then they are hurting the work of this local church. There's no way around it. You cannot pull yourself out of the equation and say that how we do, a husband and a wife, a pastor, ministry leader, and their spouse, whether it's a ministry leader, a man and his wife, or if the wife has her own ministry, then it's her relationship with her husband. With good integrity, you you can't teach people how to—well, you can— you, you can, yes, you can, but, but you, can, you will hurt it, you, you will damage it, because living the Christ life is about relationship. You can't live the Christ life well outside of relationship, and if you are a ministry leader, then you're teaching people how to live in relationship, and if you can't live in a biblical relationship in your own marriage, then there's something wrong there's something wrong that has to be addressed. 
And the same applies to a parent. A parent is a leader, and if that parent is married, then how the parent is acting like Christ personally and how they are acting like Christ as a marriage, because what the parent is doing is they're teaching the child how to relate to other people. Follow the leader. And so point number one in this podcast, and again, the title of it, the title of it is Three Powerful and Practical Parenting Strategies. The first one is, is prayer. The second one is, I titled, You Are a Signpost. And then the third one is, Follow the Leader. I have counseled scores of teenagers and young adults who are repulsed by Christianity. Their main argument is usually because of what they saw in their parents. Now, please listen to this carefully. I do not believe and I do not teach that anyone has an excuse to reject God based on how somebody else has treated them or, or someone else in their life. But the truth is, we can interfere with the message of Christ by our inadequate Christian example. Paul reserved some of his sharpest criticisms for people who interfered with, tamped, tampered with, corrupted the gospel message. You can read some of his criticisms in Galatians chapter 1 and the, the entire both Corinthian letters. And though you believe in the gospel and would not defile the purity of its truths, you can mar, mar the gospel with a poor example. There is no greater context on earth to spoil the message of the gospel than in the home. Let me reiterate, I'm not giving these teenagers an out to reject God because of their parents, but we can get in the way. In the home is where you can relax and presume on each uh, on each other. Few people are willing to show their rear ends at a church meeting or some other venue like they will do in the home. I'm an old guy. I've been doing it for a long time. I've seen this over and over again. In the home, your home can be your most considerable redemptive context. Or it can be the ball and chain that inspires your child to reject Christ and ultimately drags him to hell. Perhaps these statements will help me clarify my third point here. Follow the leader. These are all quotes. Let's just say that you're saying them or I'm saying them. This applies to me too. I'm not disconnected from what I'm saying here. Here are three, four, five, six, seven statements that you can make. And you can read them here. You can copy and paste them here. You can put them on your refrigerator. I would love for you to do that. Quote, I want my child to be happy. Therefore, I want to model happiness with my demeanor and my general attitude, too. I want my child to work hard. Therefore, I want to work hard even after a hard day's work. Number three, I want my child to respect others. Therefore, I do not want to be harsh or unkind toward my spouse or my children. Number four, I want my child to be a quick repenter. Therefore, I want to be the fastest repenter of them all. Number five, I want my child to be loving. Therefore, I, I want to be a hugger, back scratcher, hand holder, embracer. Number six, I want my child to be kind and gentle. 
Therefore, I want to model kindness and gentleness through my words and my actions. And finally, number seven, I want my child to be like Jesus. Therefore, I want to show them what Jesus looks like through my authentic example. Whatever it is that you want your child to become, show him, show her the way by your example. Point number three, follow the leader. You're not just a signpost that points, but you are a leader that leads. And after you fail, because you will, I have experience with this, by the way, one of the most transformative leadership tidbits that you will export to your child is how to repent. As he sees your active, practical contrition. Now, if you're not sure how to practically repent, I have an article here that I wish every Christian in the world could read and devour. There's a video that goes with it, and it will help you. It will walk through what I list out, 13 steps of active, practical repentance. You've been listening to the article. Here are three powerful, practical parenting strategies. I have a call to action at the end of this that I would love to you, love for you to read. There are some questions there. But strategy number one, the best advice you'll ever receive is pray, to pray for your children. Number two, you're a signpost. You are decreasing in the home. Some of you authoritarian parents, you're too big. You're too tall. You're too strong. You need to decrease. Your assigned post in Christ is increasing, number two. Number three, follow the leader. Give them a redemptive home. Whatever in the world you want them to become, then you be that yourself and you show them how to do it. If you want to jump on these call to action questions, it'll help you to continue to flesh it out. If you want to talk to us, well, I want you to do that. Jump on our website. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.